Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you all again, and um, wonderful to, to be with Nathan and Claire as well. Um, what Nathan didn't mention is that we were pastor's college classmates way back in 2000, 2001, so almost 19 years ago now. We, we uh, met one another in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and uh, it's been wonderful to see what the Lord has done here in, in Bristol um, through, through Nathan's ministry and, and of course, uh, the rest of you as well. Um, I am thrilled to be with you as well to, to bring greetings from Covenant Fellowship Church, my church. So I serve on the pastoral team at Covenant Fellowship. Did Jared Mellinger preach here when he was around? So Jared Mellinger is the senior pastor of our church, uh, Covenant Fellowship, which birthed Covenant Mercies in 2002. So the ministry of Covenant Mercies that Nathan just described is, is about 17 years old now. And uh, as he described, we, the, the centerpiece of our ministry is what we call the Orphan Sponsorship Program, whereby people can sponsor children, uh, much as you've seen through other sponsorship schemes, except we do this uh, exclusively through tight partnerships with uh, brothers and sisters on the ground in Africa whom we've identified as, as uh, faithful churches and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ that we can carry out this ministry through so that the children in our program receive this practical uh, service, not just through good people in their community, but through God's church on the ground in their home community. So it's a, it's a thrill for me to be uh, spearheading this ministry and, and be uh, building these partnerships. We are now serving approximately 1,400 sponsored children in Uganda, Ethiopia, and Zambia. And again, as Nathan said, I'll tell you more about that uh, as we get closer to the end. Let's begin in Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bibles with you, and you can turn to Luke 14. While you're doing that, let me also express my thanks to those of you who have been sponsoring children, many of you for many years. Uh, and, and if you are currently sponsoring children, that means you just went through the transition of changing your standing order from one bank to another bank, and I know that's uh, not easy, and I appreciate your, your patience with us on that, and I appreciate Peter Boley as well, who I think was uh, at the center of, of uh, making those transitions with all of you, so thank you for doing that. Um, also want to say thanks to, to Ken and Sharon, whose hospitality I'm enjoying this weekend, so thank you so much. It is a joy to, to be with you all. So if you're with me in Luke chapter 14, I want to begin reading in verse 12. And just to set the context, Jesus is at the table of a Pharisee, one of the rulers of the Pharisees, uh, it says above in Luke 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. He, being Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Well, we all know what it feels like to receive a kindness that evidently has strings attached, right? Um, the, the, the proverbial apple on the teacher's desk is rarely a pure expression of generosity. Uh, I was thinking, Nathan, we had a classmate in the PC at the pastor's college who maybe the, the apple on the teacher's desk has been replaced with the Starbucks cup. And I don't know where this guy got the money because I thought we were all poor students with uh, you know, no jobs. But, um, 
but he would constantly bring Jeff Perswell that, that his favorite cup of Starbucks. Rarely a pure expression of generosity. Um, I don't know if you have any, any experiences like this. In Philadelphia, oh, I, I didn't mention, maybe you mentioned, I, I live outside of Philadelphia in the U.S., in the city, there used to be these guys who would put wiper, as soon as you'd come to a stoplight, they'd put wiper fluid on your, um, on your windshield and they'd begin wiping and then, of course, they would put their hand out. Uh, they weren't just offering a, an expression of kindness. And when they got really smart, they would put the wiper fluid on, wipe about one strand of it and then say, do you want me to continue? Um, <laughs> So there are certain kinds of generosity that you almost feel like you need to be on your guard against because they're really nothing more than, than thinly veiled attempts to obligate you to do something in return. Well, this reciprocity ethic was very common in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in, very common in the Jewish society at that time as well, this idea that, okay, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Um, and as Jesus sits at the table of this Pharisee, he knows well the mindset that he's addressing. Uh, one would act in a generous way towards someone else in order to obligate this, a similar generosity to them in return. And conversely, if someone extended a kindness or generosity to you, you'd feel a strong obligation, even an ethical obligation, to reciprocate. Now, this reciprocity ethic may not be as explicit in our way of thinking today in our Western societies, uh, but it's undeniably under the surface of, of most of our personal and social interactions as well. If we're honest, we'd have to admit that there are a few things we do in life that isn't somehow motivated or influenced by our own self-interest. And on certain levels, that's okay, right? That's not, always, uh, that's not always a bad thing. It's not always evil and impure, this idea of reciprocity. Uh, there are certain contexts where it's even the highest goal, I think. Like, let's consider the business context, for example. The definition of a, a, a great business transaction is when someone is happy to part with X number of pounds for whatever good or service that you are happy to, to provide for that amount of money, right? That's, that's the definition of, of a, a good business transaction. And if it sounds like I'm uh, advocating for the free market principle, uh, economic principles, you would be right about that. Um, but that's not my point. My, po <laughs> my point is simply to say that reciprocity is not inherently wrong or evil. Um, however, as he always does, Jesus asks us some very important questions here that probe into the depths of our hearts and our motivations and push us beyond these normal human tendencies. Jesus calls us here to a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can give us in return. And I think we need to acknowledge this doesn't come naturally to us. Um, in our sinful nature, we are bent toward doing things that are in our own self-interest, and we're bent toward neglecting things that don't really offer any benefit to us personally. And so against the grain of his own ancient culture, against the grain of our cultures of today, against the, the, the grain of our natural human tendencies and sinful nature, Jesus teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. In fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that's uniquely Christian, not just human, but uniquely Christian, is its intentional focus on those who could do nothing to repay it. 
Jesus says, you want to you know whether your love is truly Christian love? Love those who can't love you back. You want to know whether generosity, your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give to those who can do nothing to repay you. This is generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants to be sure that it's a present and visible trait in the lives of his disciples. And so for the, in the balance of our time in the Word, I just want to observe two things about this generosity that Jesus commends to us, two observations about this type of generosity. One, this generosity is, takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. It takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. Now, contrary to the way that Jesus' words may sound to us on face value, he's not forbidding us from having our friends over, from enjoying time with our families, or, or, or being generous to our loved ones. In fact, you're probably aware, you know your Bible well enough to know that there are other commands of Scripture uh, that, would, that would even question whether we're true believers if we don't care for our families. So obviously Jesus is not calling us to uh, ignore or, or set aside our responsibilities to our families. Um, he's He's at the table of a Pharisee, and he knows the, the mindset. He knows what their practices are. He knows what our human tendencies are. And he's using strong language here to jar us out of our complacency, to jar us out of our comfort zone and make an important point to us. So what point is he making? He's saying that as God's people, our generosity shouldn't be limited to that which is normal. It shouldn't be limited to that which is normal. It's normal to be generous toward those who can return the favor to us somehow. As disciples of Christ, we're called to be generous, to take generous initiative toward those who can't repay us precisely because they can't repay us. I love the way Jesus explains the reason why we shouldn't invite our friends, our family, uh, the rich, to hang out with us at this dinner party. He says, quote, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. You think, oh, oh, I get it. Um, of course, that would be a tragedy, right? <laughs> if to invite Bill Gates to my dinner party and maybe get invited to his dinner party. That, that, I understand, Jesus, that is a tragedy for sure. Now, obviously, he's not saying that's a tragedy. What he's saying is that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates. If your generosity remains within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why will you be blessed? Because they cannot repay you. Notice he doesn't say, despite the fact that they can't repay you. He doesn't say you'll be blessed even though they can't repay you. No, he says you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. There's a cause-effect relationship here. The blessing for you is the direct result of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity those who can't do anything to return the favor to you. As you take initiative toward those who can't repay you, specifically because they can't repay you, God says he will repay you for that very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize us as his people, as Christians. This is one of the things that ought to distinguish us from the world. This is a characteristic that differentiates Christian love 
from love that we might think of as normal or natural, even among those who don't know Christ. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus spoke in similar terms uh, when calling us to love our enemies. If you want to turn back with me just a handful of pages to Luke chapter 6, we'll read beginning in verse 32. Luke 6.32 and following, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. And do good and lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. How do we demonstrate that we're sons and daughters of the Most High? Not by merely doing the same things that are possible apart from faith. As Jesus would say, what credit is that to you? How does that distinguish you from the world? The world neglects to show kindness to those who can do nothing to repay that kindness. But Jesus says, not so with you. It shall not be so with us as his disciples. We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven and disciples of his son Jesus by taking initiative where it wouldn't be natural, it wouldn't be normal for us to do so, by loving even our enemies, by intentionally ensuring that our generosity, our kindness extends to those who can't do anything to repay us. Now, back to the Pharisees' table in Luke chapter 14, uh, a a most profound accent is placed on Jesus' exhortation here uh, in in one simple fact, and it's a fact that goes straight over the head of his original hearers, but we, with the help of, of our understanding of redemptive history, can see it clearly. And that's this fact. The one who is sitting at the table with them and addressing them is himself God incarnate. He's sitting at the table with them because he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant, and took initiative toward those who could do nothing to repay him. Soon he'll give all. He'll go to Calvary. He'll endure death on the cross for those who could never repay his kindness. If you are not a Christian here, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, first of all, I know this church is very happy that you're here and you're very welcome, but there's an important thing for you to understand. You don't come to Jesus as a way of repaying God for the things that you've done wrong. You don't come to Jesus as a way of repaying God for the kindness that he's shown you. You come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing that his death on the cross is sufficient to cover the penalty for your sins and restore your relationship with God. We can't get that backwards. But if you're here today and you're a believer, I hope, I trust you see the glorious and rich gospel truth that's bound up in what Jesus is calling us to here. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and generosity. Why? 
Because that's the very same thing that God did for us, very same thing that Jesus did when he left behind the riches and the glory of heaven and came to earth to seek and save lost sinners like you and me. The generosity that Jesus commends to us takes selfless, Christ-like initiative for those who can do nothing to repay it. And secondly, the second observation characteristic of this generosity is that it's driven by faith. This generosity is driven and, and fueled by faith. Even as Jesus calls us to a generosity that's not self-interested, he simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward that can only be seen by the eyes of faith. Again, reading verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amazingly, as we put off the, the human tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative instead toward those who can do nothing to repay us in the world's terms, Jesus promises us that we will be rewarded in eternity. Now, we embrace this reward by faith, by trusting that what Jesus says to us here is absolutely true. That what we sacrifice from our bank accounts now in this life for those who can do nothing to repay us in this life will accrue to our account in eternity. This is the, the great and glorious paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. It is a sacrifice. We shouldn't pretend that it's not. It is a sacrifice to give toward those who can't repay you. It, it will cost you something. It will cost you the ability to use those same funds toward some other need or want, some other thing that could benefit your life more right now in the here and now. But when you consider that sacrifice in light of the eternal reward that Jesus promises us here, it really is no sacrifice at all. You can't make any more secure investment than this. Now, there are many sacrifices that we make in this life uh, to, uh, for a reward that we expect to receive later. I don't think we're as good at it as, as people these days in our instant gratification societies with our smart tools and everything that trains us to expect everything immediately. But we make, we make a lot of sacrifices like this in our life. We make an investment now for a reward we expect to receive later. Um, I'm a gardener. I love to get out this time of year. I love to get out into the dirt and get some dirt under my fingernails and get all the vegetables planted in the garden. Um, we've got about an acre that we live on in my neighborhood. It's a little more spread out. So in the last several years, I've taken an interest in perennial plants and especially fruit-bearing bushes. So um, maybe about five years ago, I started planting blueberry bushes. I love blueberries, and uh, they're a very healthy fruit. I understand they're more popular here. We've been eating them at the, <laughs> at the Morris's. Um, I, thought, I thought the Brits were current people, but uh, yeah. Um, but blueberries, uh, I've, I've taken a, an interest in, in growing these. And so you have to study up on how to grow them properly because they need a different type of soil. I had to amend the soil to make it more acidic 
which they like. I have to uh, mulch them and you know, keep, them, keep the roots protected. They like to, to have wet feet, so you, you need to put a few inches of, of good mulch around the top of them. And there's many things that you have to do to take care of them. There are uh, groundhogs and uh, rabbits and deer that I need to keep away from them, and don't ask too many questions about how I do that. Um, but one other thing that I learned when I was first raising up these little baby blueberry bushes was that the first three growing seasons, they recommend that you pinch the blossoms from these bushes. Now, the blossoms, of course, are what uh, amazingly, by the miraculous power of God, turn into berries every year. Um, but these blossoms come up, and so you know that that's what's going to be berries, but I have to pinch them in the first few years. The reason is that you want to tell that bush to put all of its energy toward developing strong roots and a, and a strong base. So um, the first couple of years, that was easy. The third year, it was a little harder to do because the bushes, they were a little bigger. They looked like, all right, they're, they're doing fine. Maybe I can enjoy a few berries this year. Um, but no, I, I, I said, no, I want to I wanna enjoy that better harvest later. So I pinched those blossoms even in that third year. Now, I could have enjoyed a couple of handfuls of delicious blueberries that year that time. And that's for the sake of the future harvest, I sacrificed them at that time. And that's what Jesus is asking us here. Do you want to be satisfied with a couple of handfuls of blueberries now? Or will you believe me that sacrificing that small pleasure now will result in a future harvest that you cannot even fathom? This is a reward that can only be seen by faith, and God is pleased. I believe He's uniquely glorified when we live our lives in light of that re reality. When we say to Him, even though I can see these, these other tangible things more easily, I trust that what you're saying to me is true, and I live in light of that reality. When we fix our eyes, not on the things of this world, but on, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus is lifting our eyes here to that eternal reward, which though unseen is every bit as real as the tangible sacrifice, only far more lasting. Several years ago, I became aware of a couple in my home church um, who were sponsoring seven children through our orphan sponsorship program. Now, that number in itself would, would get your attention, but honestly, it, it wasn't, the, the number of children that they were sponsoring wasn't especially notable, um, only because we have some who are sponsoring more. Um, but what was especially notable to me when I happened to notice that I was just stumbling upon that information in our sponsorship database, what, what was notable to me is that I know this couple, I know this family, and I know they're not by any stretch rich by American standards. Um, this, I'm, I'm quite certain that they're nowhere near wealthy. They're kind of like working class folks. And so when I noticed that, I just said, well, I have to, I have to drop them a note of thanks and just thank them for, for the way they're giving toward these children. Well, I did that. I dropped them a note in the mail. Later, we bumped into each other and had a conversation. And I came to learn through that conversation that they began, when our sponsorship program began, they began, like many of us, sponsoring one, two children. And then each time the husband got a raise through the years, um, they, they just said, well, they kind of operated on the principle that we did, 
we did fine last year with the provision that the Lord gave us. This year, he's given us more. Let's share a little bit of that blessing with someone else who needs it. And so they just added one more children each year to the point that they had seven children. Now, that was when I first... Uh, developed this message and gave this message. Now that I'm doing it again, I, I just decided, let me check in the database. And sure enough, they now are sponsoring 11 children. This family has just continued in that trajectory. Um, they also added a, a monthly gift to our general fund because they know that uh, you know some of these other projects that we're pursuing, like schools we're building, and I'll tell you more about that later, uh, are also critical to, to enhance the care that we're able to provide for our children. My point in bringing that up is not that everyone you know, needs to do that, but th- these are not people of significant means. Um, the sacrifice they're making is real. Those funds could be used in other ways that would benefit their, their standard of living in the here and now, and you know what? No one would even look at them and look at their lives as, as, as if they're living in a self-indulgent way. But this is a couple whose eyes are fixed not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. They're sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept for them in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. I so want to live my life in light of that reality as well. Now, when I think of Jesus' exhortation here to give, to be generous toward those who can do nothing to repay us, I can't help but think of the children in our orphan sponsorship program. And I can't help but think of you, those of you who are sponsoring children. If you are sponsoring children through our program, it is nearly impossible that these kids will ever be able to do anything to repay you. That's exactly the kind of giving that Jesus is commending to us here in this passage. It's precisely this kind of generosity that he promises to repay at the resurrection of the just. And I can only imagine that one of the ways the Lord might reward us is by allowing us to see with the eyes of eternity, in eternity, uh, to see and meet those people whose lives we affected through our kindness and through our generosity. And now, of course, we know that he will. So we'll be standing. Just imagine yourself standing before Jesus when he says, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And you'll say, well, Jesus, when did we see you sick? When did we see you hungry? And he'll say, even as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. This is just my imagination, but I can imagine Jesus pulling a little girl up by his side or a young woman and saying, this is Chalcedon. She was born with HIV. She would have died of AIDS if you hadn't supported her and given her access to the health care she needed. She was able to flourish and live a long life, and this also brought a young woman named Helena into her life, and Helena shared the gospel with her. Chalcedon is here today because you gave to her when she could do nothing to repay you. Or he'll pull up a boy by his side and say, this is Charles. Your investment into Lighthouse Christian School made it possible for him to get a quality education. He came to faith as a child because of a vacation Bible school they did at Lighthouse, And later, he went on to university through a scholarship fund that was provided to him. He became a teacher and was able to influence the lives of so many other young people as well. Think of all the lives that he has touched because you gave to him when he could do nothing to repay you. 
Think of the ripple effects throughout eternity. Think of the, the, the future children and grandchildren of the children that we're sponsoring now who will know the love of Jesus because someone shared the love of Jesus when, with their mother or their grandfather when they were just a little child running around in the community with no parents to take care of them. Think of all the lives that will be touched through the lives we're touching now. I believe part of our reward will be seeing with the eyes of eternity, the full and glorious impact of those acts of kindness and generosity in this life, the the things we can only see by faith right now. Well, it takes the eyes of faith to see those things in the here and now, and I couldn't be more grateful to those uh, who've expressed their faith in God by giving in so many generous ways toward this work now for 17 years. And I'm going to turn the corner now and just begin uh, bringing a bit of an update on the ministry to you. Um, As some of you would know, we are serving in four different program areas in three different African nations. So these program areas include Ndola, Zambia. I think Wilbrod Chanda has even come in and preached here. Wilbrod is a pastor in Sovereign Grace who uh, he and his wife Zicky have started a, a, a school, Lighthouse Christian School, that we've invested heavily into. And I'll tell you a little bit more that, about that in passing. But there's uh, Ndola, Zambia. There's Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, where we have a program. And there are two locations in Uganda, one in the far eastern part of the country, Nagongera, uh, the other on the far western part of the country, a little town, a little uh, rural village called Kibura. Now, most people living in Kibura, I think I even told you a little bit about Kibura and a young lady named Bridget last time. I'll give you a, a little more of an update on her story as we go here. Most people in Kibura live in little mud houses like one you're about to see, I think, on the screen here. Um, I know these are familiar to Peter, who's been to these rural Ugandan uh, villages himself. Um, it, most, most families subsist off the land in these areas, and so when we, began fir- when we first began working in Uganda in the early 2000s, really uh, right in the wake of the HIV-AIDS crisis that had hit there very hard in the 80s and 90s, uh, we found el- elderly grandparents taking care of numerous grandchildren. We found uh, widows who were left behind with small children. This is where, the, even though our main focus is on orphans, there are widows that are part of it as well because our program would serve fatherless children, including children whose mother is still alive. Um, so we found widows who were taking care of several children. Maybe they lost their husband to AIDS and they're dealing with the effects of HIV in their own bodies. Well, during my last visit with you, I don't expect you all to remember uh, the details of that, except for my lovely wife who was with me that time. If you remember, I was with a beautiful redhead last time. That's probably the, th- the one thing that stuck. Um, but um, I-, I told you about a young lady named Bridget last time. And yeah, this was Bridget when she first came into our program. That's circa 2008 or so. Um, and she was about 11 years old then, and her family fit that description that I just described to you, where the, the, the husband has died of AIDS, mother is left behind with HIV herself, and she has no means to provide for the children. And uh, Bridget said of that time in her life that she felt hopeless. And quote, she said, I started to feel self-hatred and no hope for the future. 
when Bridget, like, like so many others in our program, was trapped in a cycle of poverty where illness and lack of resources, lack of job skills or job availability, poor nutrition, barriers to education, all of these things converged to keep her and her brother and her mother trapped in this cycle. Now, through the hard work of our team in Kibora, um, we were able to help connect Bridget's mother to HIV treatment, so she's still alive today. We've been able to keep that family unit intact, and Bridget has excelled in her studies through the years. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about her story and kind of give you the, the latest update on her um, later on, but I wanted to begin in Kibora um, because it's, it's really because of, of children like Bridget, families like Bridget's, that we started the Ministry of Covenant Mercies back in 2002. Now, by God's grace, um, we now have more than 1,400 children in our sponsorship program, and we believe these children have great potential because God has created them in His image and likeness. He's given them gifts that they have a responsibility to cultivate, and, and our program really emphasizes that uh, with them. Um, our aim is, in each of their lives is to restore them to everything God has created them to be as His image bearers. Now, if we're going to succeed in that, message, that mission of restoring them to everything God has created them to be, education is going to be a, a very important tool in our tool belt. And in fact, the lack of education um, that most of them would expect in their lives is one of the primary reasons that children remain trapped in that cycle. And from one generation to another, it just continues. Um, so you may recall from past years, either through Will Broad's visit here or through my visits here, um, that we've been working with Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia now for about 13 years, and we've helped to develop this campus. There you're looking at the, the Lighthouse campus. The building on the left there is the newest classroom building that we've built for the school there. Um, we now have more than 290, upwards of 300 sponsored children receiving quality Christian education each year through Lighthouse's uh, through Lighthouse Christian School. And uh, we've continued to expand and improve that over time. In fact, Lord willing, next year we'll be, we'll be looking to raise funds for a new building on that campus again. Uh, well, we've been so pleased with the good fruit that has come from our investment into that school that uh, it's now a model that we're looking to replicate in other program areas where we can. And that's one of the reasons we were eager uh, a couple of years ago to begin exploring the possibility of, of developing a new school in western Uganda, in Kibura, that little village that uh, Bridget comes from. Well, I'm thrilled to share that just a couple of months ago in March, we broke ground on this new school in the village of Kibora. And I think we've got a picture of groundbreaking there. That's Moses Nkwatsibwe in the far right there. He's the pastor of our partner church there, the program coordinator. He leads the, the team. That's most of our team as well and one of the construction uh, managers there. But Moses is the one with the big, broad smile <laughs> on the far right. Um, Lord willing, Hope Community Primary School, which is what we've decided to call the school, uh, will launch operations next February, which is the beginning of the next Ugandan school year. Um, we will welcome three grades, pre-K, kindergarten, and grade one, and then, Lord willing, we'll just add one new grade each year. That's exactly how we developed the school in, in Zambia at Lighthouse, and it's a great way of kind of uh, managing our growth incrementally. 
Um, so we'll be looking to hire uh, the head teacher and so the first teachers just over the next few months. In fact, when I visit Uganda uh, on this trip, uh, that's one of the main things we'll be, we'll be talking about there as we, as we also uh, look over the, the progress on the, the construction project. By 2026, Lord willing, the school will be continuously serving hundreds of pre-K through grade 7 students every year, just like we're now experiencing at Lighthouse. And one of the things we did last year, I'm going to show you a video here in just a minute um, that includes this, the full site plan. We actually engaged a, a group of engineers on the ground there in Uganda to develop a full site plan on the land that we've purchased. Oh, I didn't mention the cute children at the, they're looking forward to that school. Um, but why don't we go ahead and roll the video that, that shows the, the site plan for the school. Common challenges such as malnutrition, HIV AIDS, and lack of education can create cycles of extreme poverty. Through Indigenous Partnerships, Covenant Mercy Sponsorship Program addresses these vulnerabilities through a variety of means, with a special emphasis on education. However, in rural western Uganda, schools are often overcrowded and inadequately equipped. That's why Covenant Mercies is building a brand new primary school in Kibarar. Hope Community Primary School will serve hundreds of students from pre-K to grade seven with qualified instructors, smaller classroom sizes, and access to essential supplies like textbooks for each student. But this project is about more than building a beautiful campus. It's about building into young lives so that our children will not only grow to become successful engineers, entrepreneurs, or teachers, but pillars in their homes, churches, and communities who will bless the lives of others. Consider partnering with Covenant Mercies today and give the transformational gift of education. As we build uh, this school, the, the first phase um, is going to be about a $250,000 investment. It'll be the first couple of classroom buildings. So there are two, three classroom buildings that are part of that administrative building. A teacher, um, the, the, the head teacher needs to live on site. That's actually by Ugandan law. So we'll build a little house for the head teacher and a kitchen, some things like that. Um, that'll be about $250,000 for phase one. And the... Um, what Nathan mentioned earlier about a team, that second classroom building, which is actually a very important part of, it, it was sort of an afterthought to us in phase one, but it should have been a forethought. Um, it, we added it as kind of phase 1B um, because it'll, it'll give us some breathing room then before phase two is necessary because we're starting with three classes. Um, if we build that second classroom building now, that gives us three more classrooms and we'll have three years to to, uh, to take a breath before we have to start building new, new classroom buildings for the, the continuing growth of the school. Um, so this, this fall, um, we will be taking a team, a construction team over to work on that second classroom building. Right now, the, 
uh, the local construction guys are already on the ground getting those first buildings up and, and uh, moving forward. But that second classroom building, um, it'll be for us just after Thanksgiving. Um, so late November into the earlier part of December is when we're looking to uh, take a team over. And I'll be providing Nathan with that information if there's anyone who'd be interested in applying for that. I really, one of the things I love about these teams is bringing uh, members of different churches, various churches together and, and uh, the, the synergy that comes from that. So um, I'll just throw that out there and, and be sure to provide Nathan with the application materials in case there's any interest. Um, but one of the other, the other thing that we are thinking about a, a lot and, and trying to proactively prepare for is that we'll be aiming to fill up those classrooms in the school uh, with sponsored students who otherwise may have no education at all. And so you'll see on the, on the table over here today, Nathan mentioned there will be profiles of children who are available for sponsorship. Um, there are some from all three countries, but several of the children from Uganda there would be children who would be able to receive their education through Hope Community Primary School once they're sponsored. Um, we'll have about 20 children available there if, if anyone would like to stop by and just, uh, you can even see their picture and read their little story and, and understand a little more of, of why they have this need in their lives. Now think about this. Left alone, most of these children would not even have expected to go to school. Now, they may have expected they could go to primary school, but they would not have expected they'd be able to continue on for secondary school. Well, today, though, 17 years after our humble beginnings in Covenant Mercies, we have dozens of children graduating from our program every year. And even more amazing, we have an increasing number of those students who are equipped and envisioned to consider the next step beyond high school. Um, we've... Uh, We've got several who actually can go on to pursue higher education and university studies. Um, so in 2016, we established what we call the Mapalo Scholarship Fund. I think I must have mentioned that last time I was here. Um, the Mapalo Scholarship Fund for Higher Education, which awards college scholarships to sponsorship program graduates who achieve well enough to go on to university. These are three of our Mapalo students from, uh, from Zambia that you're looking at here. Mapalo is a, a Bemba word. Bemba is the language in, in our Zambian program area. Bemba word that means blessing. Uh, and just a few days ago, our Mapalo committee, uh, just before I left home, decided on, on, 17, uh, on seven new scholarship awardees. So by God's grace, we're already beginning to see the first fruits of this fund. Um, two of our scholarship awardees from early on have already graduated, Alex and Premis, and they've recently graduated and decided to invest their lives, their talents, their skills, their sweat and labor into the children from their communities. And so they've actually joined the teams that uh, are the Covenant Mercies teams on the ground in their area. Um, Alex as an accountant in our Eastern Uganda program and Premise in our Western Uganda program. That's Premise, well, he's a little, uh, the purple shirt the, the, to the left of the lady in, in, uh, in white in the front row, that's Premise, who just joined as a social worker. He studied social works and administration at college, and so he has joined our Kibura staff. Now, let me just bring it back to Bridget briefly, because I love her testimony, and she's so articulate in the way she shares it. Um, remember the hopelessness and self-hatred that she described as part of her life um, after the tragedy of losing her father and being unsure about what her future would look like. 
Well, in 2015, she responded to the gospel when Pastor Moses Nkwatsibwe shared it with her. So she is, a, she is a believer who loves the Lord. She's now at university. She became one of our Mapalo scholars uh, early on in the Mapalo scholarship program. And she is graduating this year from Chambogo University in, uh, in Uganda, in Kampala, with a bachelor's degree in, or a bachelor's of arts in education. And here's what Bridget wrote to us just a few weeks ago as she approaches her graduation. She said, quote, I'm most thankful to God for having carried me throughout my course of study ever since I joined primary school up to where I am now, and most especially now that I'm about to attain my bachelor's degree. I really owe all of my progress to the Almighty God because it's been Him since day one. I've learned that He's very able and His plans are far better than my own understanding because I've never dreamt that at one time I would reach this far in my academic journey. Being a Apollo scholarship recipient makes me feel proud always as I rejoice in God's favorite plans for my life. <laughs> this is because I've grown up in a society where most children, especially the orphans, do not get a chance to proceed in their studies after primary level due to financial challenges. However, with the help of Covenant Mercies and the Mapalo Scholarship Program, I've managed to proceed with my studies up to where I am now. Indeed, Covenant Mercies has been a blessing to me and my family as a whole. Let me ask the band uh, to return as I just bring things to a conclusion. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to give generously toward those who can give us nothing in return. I don't know, th these, these words of thanks from Bridget feel like something, but um, she can't repay what's been given to her. These are the people that Jesus calls us to intentionally extend our generosity toward. Now, there are many ways that we can do this, and I don't pretend that covenant mercies is the only way, but I want to give you a couple ways to consider. I mentioned that there are children available for sponsorship over here. Nathan modeled the beautiful uh, covenant mercies, uh, do justice, love mercy t-shirt, which we're selling for 12 pounds. It's just a small way to, to make a contribution. By the way, the the, the school projects and things like that that we invest in, we don't use any of the sponsorship funds for that. Those sponsorship gifts are a one-to-one -one correlation with your sponsored children, and so we find other ways of, of raising funds for those projects that also have benefit in their lives, but we, we wouldn't touch the, the sponsorship funds for that. Um, so your giving through the sponsorship program mobilizes partners like Moses to share the gospel and, and incorporate these young people into his church ministry. Um, your investment into the schools we're making, whether through just buying a t-shirt or, or some other way, um, participating in any way the Lord might lead you, gives our children not only a, a quality education, but it also gives us a, a five-day-a-week, Monday through Friday, Christ-centered context where we can influence uh, their lives, their spiritual development, their character development that much more. Um, years down the road, after we've given them a strong foundation in early education, we trust that many more of them will qualify for Mapalo scholarships, and that's a day we're working toward them and preparing for by building that fund now. In the end, we believe that these young people will graduate and take their place in society as influencers in their families, influencers in their churches, their communities, and those ripple effects that we reflected on earlier will just will just go out, and I think we'll see it fully in eternity. 
So I hope you'll stop by the, the table afterwards. I'd be happy to talk to you, answer any questions that you might have. Um, in addition, there are materials about Covenant Mercies. If you just want to pick up some materials and read, we've got, Americans say brochures, you say brochures. Uh, we've got brochures about the, uh, about the ministry and other, other materials that you can freely take and just uh, read up, check out our website, all of that as well. Um, thank you. Thank you. Let me just conclude by saying thank you, not only for this welcome and invitation, but also, again, to the many of you who've been sponsoring children for many years. You may not know the full impact of that in this life, but the Lord will use that for eternity. And regardless of whether you decide to, to join hands with Covenant Mercies today in this work, may the Lord uh, continue to grow us all as disciples who are eager to give toward those who can do nothing to give to us in return, knowing that he will fulfill that promise to repay us at the resurrection of the just. Amen.